All right, I'll be reading our scripture this morning. Our scripture this morning comes from Mark 4, verses 30 through 32. Mark 4, 30 through 32. And it reads, Again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, Welcome to Scarlet City Church. My name is Jay O'Brien. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you're new to Scarlet City, thank you for for coming. Uh, It's an interesting season at Scarlet City, a season of milestones and firsts. Uh, Last Sunday was the first time that we had to cancel a worship gathering. So I hope you uh, were worshiping God at home. I was as I slept. It's kind of like a combo prayer sleeping thing. It was glorious. Um, If you came last week, if the word didn't reach you, I'm sorry. I hope you, hope you, it was okay. Um, And also, speaking of first, we're closing out our first capital campaign. Uh, closing out in the sense of closing out the sharing of the plan and vision with you. This Sunday, we're wrapping up our sermon series, Rooted, and, um, and closing out this conversation. And we want to invite you to consider pledging uh, toward the campaign. And if I can just be honest as we kind of uh, start right now, I am personally so excited and energized for ministry. I'm as excited as I've been since we planted the church. And the reason is, is because uh, in this process, I've seen and our elders have seen an embracing of ownership of the mission and vision of the church. And that's what we were hoping would happen when we started this campaign. Because the Rooted campaign, you may have noticed as we're talking about raising money to purchase and renovate the building, is not really about money or a building. It's about what does it mean to be the church and what is success for us at Scarlet City? I mean, there's been success in the campaign. Up to this point, we've, we have 29 uh, pledges that we've received, uh, totaling $184,000 in pledging. And so you can, that's a, that's a lot. And you can just do the math and divide. And there's people who are being incredibly generous. So I'm excited, encouraged by that, what it means for our church. But it's not just about the amount pledged toward a building campaign. What we've seen over the last few weeks are people reaching out, conversations happening where people have embraced what it means to be a church on mission and ideas and desires to serve and lead and bless the community. And those are the things that excite me and excite our elders because that's what it means to be a healthy local church. Because when we think of what is success at Scarlet City, it's really important that we're clear about what that even means. The question itself, itself, what is success? What is success? An important question for us all to ask personally, an important question for us to ask in our commitments, an important question for us to ask in the communities and organizations we're a part of. What is success? What is our goal? essentially. Now, some of us, a question like that, what is success? We, it just strikes a wrong chord. What is success? It feels, 
like a lot of pressure. As if if we don't accomplish what we set out to do, then, then we're a failures and it's all for naught. It's a question we'd rather not be intentional about considering because what happens if, if it doesn't occur? Another reason we shy away from this question of what is success is because often we feel pressure from the voices of others and what they think is success in our life rather than what we think success should be. And so some of us might feel the pressure or burden of maybe a parent who their perspective of success for your life might look different than what you determine. We might feel pressure culturally because the cultural pressures of what success looks like might lead us to not to feel like we're a failure because we're not measuring up to the cultural standards. What does success look like? It's important that we're intentional as a church to consider what is success. What, what is God's perspective of success for a local church? And so we've taken these three weeks as we've talked about this campaign rooted to, to tackle that question, what is success? Because you can raise money you can have a building and not, in the eyes of God, be a really successful church. And so we've taken these few weeks to talk about it. We've, we've said that success for us means we want to be a church that's equipping, where people are being transformed by the gospel, experiencing wholeness and healing personally, and then extending that into the world. Equipping is a marker of success for us as a church. We've talked about serving and blessing the community. Last week, Mike preached about it, and, or two weeks ago. Sorry, we didn't meet last week. Uh, two weeks ago, Mike preached on this, and Jenny shared about what does it look like for a church to be a blessing in the community, to serve, to meet needs, to partner with organizations and people. And we've seen markers of success just these past two weeks. Just these past two weeks, we took, we took over leading the Wednesday night meal. As a church, and a number of people from Scarlet City showed up and served. That's a marker of success. Uh, the Young Lives had a bunco night to raise money for this incredible ministry of mentoring young teenage moms. It's a marker of success. As I mentioned earlier, people have reached out desiring to teach and lead and ideas for ministry and how we can serve and bless our communities. This is what? successes as a church. And this morning, we close out our conversation on being rooted by talking about the success of growing in God's way, the success of multiplication. And so in our passage, Jesus shares a parable. And I want to unpack really briefly because we're going to have another interview today talking about multiplication. I want to briefly unpack the principle of the kingdom as a mustard seed, and a few implications for how that shapes our view of growth today. A principle, and then some practical implications for our church. Uh, first, what is the principle that Jesus is illustrating in this parable about the kingdom of God? In verse 30, Jesus says this. He asks a question. He says, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or, or what parable shall we use for it? He's, he's posing a question to the audience. He's saying, what 
Is the kingdom of God like? What story can describe its power and its nature? And his original audience, they would have had an expectation of where he was going by framing it this way. First of all, Jesus references the kingdom of God, and this refers to the rule and reign of God. And a quick little preview. Uh, Next week, we're going to start a sermon series called King and Kingdom, Walking Through the Gospel of Matthew. Really excited about that. So we're going to be talking a lot about the kingdom of God. Uh, moving forward, but the essential nature of the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God. Jesus says, what is the rule and reign of God like? A big, a big question. And now his audience, when they heard him pose it that way, they would have brought to mind Isaiah 40, verse 18, which says this. The prophet Isaiah says, to whom then will you liken God or what likeness compares with him? What is God like, essentially? And the prophet goes on, Isaiah, he goes on in verse 21. He says, do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he, it is God who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. God who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in and brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. What the prophet's saying is, he asks the question, do you not know what God is like? He is creator. He stretches the heavens. He's massive. He is great. Jesus's audience would have expected his answer of what is the kingdom of God like for him to eloquently unpack the magnitude and greatness and size of God. And how does he respond? How does Jesus respond? What is the kingdom of God like? What parable shall we use of it? Verse 31. It is like a grain of mustard seed. (laughs) His audience would have expected him to unpack the, the vastness of God's kingdom. And he begins... It is like a mustard seed. And it's, I love what he, Jesus goes on. As if the listeners didn't understand what a mustard seed was. It's the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. <laughs> a mustard seed was, was a metaphor back then representing the smallest possible thing. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And there, his audience would have been confused. Not what we were expecting. And then Jesus to clarify the seeds, the smallest of all the seeds. It's like, thanks, Jesus. Yeah, we, we got that point of a mustard seed, but what are you talking about? And here's one of the components of the principle of God's growth. God's work starts smaller than expected. God's work starts smaller than expected. Begins small. They're expecting something grandiose. From Jesus, he says, no, it's like the smallest possible seed. But, he continues in verse 32, yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And also his original audience, they would have understood what Jesus is saying here. Jesus isn't just saying a mustard seed grows and provides shades for nice birds. As if, you know, that's great. 
He's not, but he's not really talking about nice, pretty birds that have shade. This also was an Old Testament image that represented the nations of the earth. In Ezekiel chapter 31, God's kingdom is likened to a kingdom that provides shelter, and the imagery of birds is used, shelter for the nations. Jesus is saying that God's work begins smaller than expected, but it grows larger than imagined. It begins small. It shatters their expectations of how God's work starts. And then he shatters their expectations for the greatness of what it will become. And this is all over the Bible. All over the Bible. We look at the story of Abraham. Abraham, who was unable to have children. And they had been trying for so long that when God came and said he's going to bless him and his wife with the child, his wife just laughs at God. Like, what? I'm, we're going to be father of a great nation? And yet, the work of Abraham continues today. We see it in the story of Moses. Moses feels utterly incapable of the task of delivering God's people from slavery, from the strongest, most powerful nation in the world. Moses is like, God, I can't even speak very well. And yet God works through this stuttering servant to, to lead his people to freedom. We see this in the story of David, some lowly shepherd that God raises up to be king of his people. We see it in the life of Jesus, born to a teenage young woman in a manger in a no-name town. God works. His work begins small, but it grows to be larger than imagined. We see it in the disciples. God works through ordinary, insignificant people to launch the greatest movement the world has ever seen. God's work begins small, smaller than expected, but grows larger than imagined. This is the principle of God's growth. Now, what are some implications for us today as we seek to be a church that honors God's desire for growth? As we consider what is success for us as a church, what are some, a few implications as we get practical here? The first, and this feels fairly obvious, but we can overlook it, is this. Growth is part of God's plan. God's plan is to grow. That's why he begins with a small seed and it grows to encompass a kingdom that the nations can find shelter with. God's desire is that things grow. Jesus doesn't just say the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed and stop. He says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that grows so that the birds, the nations can find shelter. Now there's a, a problem, a tension for some of us because some of us, we don't like growth. We don't trust it. We might even be afraid of it. And there's a few reasons why that might be the case. Sometimes we can equate smallness with strength. We can equate small, being small with being better than being large. And so when we hear the parable, we put emphasis on the mustard seed. It starts really small small and we miss the growth and the transformation that happens so 
Some of us, we equate with being small with being more significant. Others of us, we fear change. We fear change. Growth requires change. Growth requires relational change. It requires inviting people. It requires new people, new values, new experiences, new ways of relating. It requires opening our home, opening our tables, opening our lives to people who aren't already here. And, and that's scary. Because sometimes we can just get in the habit of the comfort of the people we already know. And just doing life safely with those relationships. Jesus was regularly inviting. He was breaking the stereotypes of what culture said, how he could relate to others, to invite people to follow him. And praise God that he does this, that God is an inviting God, that he's never relationally maxed out that he doesn't have time for you and me, that he doesn't just settle for the holy huddle of people who are already friends and there's no room, no more room here. God is an inviting God. We need to be an inviting church. Multiplication means we open our lives, we open our relationships to new people. Growth is part of God's plan. Also, we see that God's plan prioritizes a process. It's not just, growth is not just the goal, but it's how one grows that matters. And there's a number of things we can comment on this, and we'll talk about this briefly in our interview, but some things I want to highlight about God's plan and God's process. First, process means how we get to our destination is just as important as the destination itself. Growth is not the ultimate goal. Again, thinking about success. For an athletic team, success obviously would probably be winning a game. Um, winning the game. Super Bowl is this upcoming Sunday. And the goal of the Patriots and the goal of the Rams is to win the game. Now, I would actually add to it. It's not to just win the game. It's to win the game within the rules that have been defined. If you cheat... You might win the game, but are you really a success? So, you know, some teams, they like to take videos of other teams' practices, which is illegal. They like to deflate balls so that they can have a better grip. Stephen, I'm talking about the Patriots. Where did he go? Oh, there he is. In case you didn't get that. Some teams, they'll cheat to win. And I don't know if I would say that's really success. And this applies to not just sports, of course. It applies to life. You can doctor the books to get the sale. And it might look like success. It might look like a goal achieved, but it's not really success if process matters. God's goal is not that we just manufacture growth. God's goal is not that we churches grow at any cost. God's desire is not that churches grow at the expense of the health and wholeness of his people. God values the process. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The way, how we go about growth matters to God. 
And this leads to our second component that we learned. Process also means that growth will often be slower than we want. Growth, according to God's plan, takes time. Jesus has a great commission at the end of his life after he raises from the dead. He sends his followers and he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. We see God's plan and God's process right here. If Jesus' desire was quick, global transformation, he could have devised a faster plan. I mean, he's leaving. Jesus is leaving. If I were to give him advice, I would say, Jesus, okay, these guys, you know, John, he was a fisherman. I, you know, Matthew, tax collector, people don't even trust Matthew, and you're sending him out? Jesus, what we need to have, you need to go to every neighborhood, every village, get as large a crowd as possible. In fact, let's go ahead and invent like telepathic ability here and maybe some media and video. We'll get this all up and we can reach the largest amount of people. And yet God's process is relational. It's relational. One person at a time. It's multiplication and it's slow. It takes time. But God's plan and God's process is to invest personally and to invest deeply so that we can experience the healing and wholeness of the gospel in order to better extend it to others. God has a plan, and God's plan prioritizes a process. And lastly, being brief this morning, God's process requires patience. It requires patience. Because it takes time, it requires that we often wait. Now, some of you might be good at waiting. I'm horrible at waiting. I want to be in the future yesterday. I can be very impatient. And it's not just impatience in one area of my life. I find impatience in a number of areas. And sometimes I drive people around me crazy. Megan, when she was pregnant with our first child, every day, or when we got closer to the due date, I think we were about three or four weeks out, about a few times a day I would ask, are you feeling anything yet? Are you feeling anything? And here's what I learned, that the due date is actually not the date of delivery. It's just a date that most likely won't be the date the child's born on. And often women, especially for their first pregnancy, will go past the due date. And that drove me crazy because I'm so impatient because I want to control everything. I want to have the plan. I want to have my process. And I want to go and do it. And what God is teaching me over and over and probably maybe teaching you is that he has a plan. He has a process. And when we are living according to his plans and his process, it often will require patience. But there's good news, isn't there? Because when you look at God's work, when we think back to Abraham, 
God promises. He says, I have a plan. You're going to be a father of nations. And Abraham's like, man, we can't even have children. And he takes matters into his own hands, says, I'm going to have a plan. When we think of Moses, when we think of David, when we think of Jesus and the early disciples, if we were to come in and to take control and say, no, patience, the, the need is too urgent, God. We cannot wait. How much would we have missed? Because Abraham becomes a father of nations. Moses delivers God's people from the strongest nation in the earth. David becomes a king. Jesus defeats death and sends his disciples to transform the world. And all of us here today are a reflection of the growth of that work. So I want to invite us to be a church that grows by trusting God's plan, investing in God's process, and being patient, living by faith as God brings the results. Uh, this morning, as we have for the last few weeks, we're going to have an interview. And so I want to invite the, uh, the participants of the interview forward. Really excited for this morning's interview. We're going to talk about multiplication. I hope I don't... Am I going to pop speakers if I walk over here? No. I have the little stool, and I'm shorter than anyway, Jacob. Um, well, I'm really excited for this morning. We're gonna have a, we have a panel. We're going to talk about multiplication, and everyone up here has uh, been invested in this for their life when we think about uh, uh, making disciples and church planting. Uh, we have Jacob Beach, and Jacob was on staff with Campus Crusade at Ohio State and uh, involved in a church in Columbus and then went to seminary at Reformed Theological uh, seminary in Charlotte where you learned all the answers and they gave you a red phone to call Jesus whenever you needed help, right? Did, did they have that at RTS? We had that at Dallas, so I don't know. <laughs> and this is Christine Mallory and Christine uh, leads BSF Bible Study Fellowship at Carl Road Baptist Church on Thursday mornings and is an amazing teacher. And uh, my wife Megan and, and a number of other women at Scarlet City are a part of BSF. And Tom is an elder at Scarlet City and has planted a church, pastored churches, and invested in relational discipleship his life. And so a lot of wisdom here. Thank you guys for, for being a part of the conversation. Um, so as we think about multiplication, Jacob, uh, we were uh, recently... Oh, yes, we have one microphone here. Um, so we got to share. Hi. If you, if you want to, just take it. That's, how we'll, that's our plan. God's plan. Um, <laughs> Jacob, you and I were talking about uh, discipleship requiring that process that I was sharing on a little earlier. Um, why does a multiplying church require the emphasis of a process when it comes to growth? So yeah, we were getting into this the other day because I was frustrated about something else. That's often how some of our conversations begin. I'm mad about something, and so I'm like, Jay, talk me off the cliff. But one of the things we were talking about specifically was uh, the idea of process, being process-oriented in discipleship, because a lot of times what I've seen, and I'm sure many of us have had experiences with this as well, 
is uh, th- there's an overemphasis put on one of two different things, possibly. This, I'm not going to say it happens everywhere, but it's a possibility. Either uh, becoming a Christian, right? The, the goal of the, the church is to get people to become Christians, right? To say, uh, uh, to pray a prayer, to believe, to say like, to maybe to get baptized and say like, all right, our job here is finished. They're Christians, good to go. Let them figure out the rest of their life. Or the emphasis becomes on the, the, the back end that says, all right, the goal of the Christian life is to become perfect, right? It's to, uh, uh, it's to follow every single law, every single rule, every single uh, uh, thing in the Bible. And I think that those two things are, are bookends, per se, right, of the Christian life. You're skipping everything in between. You're skipping the entire process in between. You become a Christian, right? That is a great thing worth celebrating. It's something that we should definitely be investing in and caring about. Uh, however, then you have however long your life lasts, Perfection will not be attained in that lifetime, okay? Won't be, it's not going to happen through that process. And then eventually we will stand before the Lord uh, 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 perfectly covered by the righteousness of Christ uh, and sinless before him, right? Uh, but what we're missing in between is the idea of, of the process, the idea of growth, where what I, think I, uh, what I think we should be seeing, right, is learning and, and growing, right? Learning about yourself, learning about God, learning uh, through his word, and then growing, right? Taking steps of faith, uh, no matter how small they are, and then throughout your life, uh, uh, seeing growth happen. And so I think when we think about discipleship, when we think about multiplication, when we think about church growth, when we think about church planting even, which I know we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, these are some of the things that I get most excited about uh, uh, in the Christian life, in the Christian process, and how the church comes alongside of people doing that. And I think if we aren't going to be a church that does that, then I don't know if we're a church worth existing. Uh, uh, if we, and, and I do think that we are doing that. I think we're, we're growing in that direction, and I hope that we all sort of uh, can work together in doing that, in creating a church that uh, uh, is process-oriented, is thinking about growth and thinking about uh, continuing to take steps of faith rather than requiring people uh, to be perfect already uh, or to turn our backs on people who uh, uh, maybe aren't Christians and then become Christians, and we say, all right, job, job well done, That's mission good. accomplished. Yeah. Christine, um, when we think about process and discipleship, Scripture is, is absolutely foundational. Uh, what does it look like for Scripture to form that foundation when it comes to discipleship? Yeah. Well, we all know we encounter God in His Word. And so if we want to make disciples for Jesus Christ, we want people to develop vibrant personal relationships with a living God. We want them to walk increasingly in the light, then we want them to encounter God in his word. So we want to open up the pages of scripture because that is where he has made himself known to us. That's where he has chosen to make himself known. So it is through, the, it is through scripture that the Holy Spirit refines and rebukes and encourages, equips, empowers, and uh, transforms lives for, eternal, for eternal purposes. So one question, if I could follow up on that too. Um, I remember for me something that kind of changed in my even perspective of it uh, when I was at a church in Dallas leading our growth ministry was I saw, I wanted to basically be a good teacher. Um, 
And what I had to learn was you can give someone, what's the, what's the metaphor? You can give someone, someone a fish and then they're going to be hungry the next day. But if you mm-hmm. teach them how to fish, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, then they can, you know, eat for the rest of their life. <laughs> um, what, as, as a Bible teacher, as someone passionate about the word, how do, you, how do we do that faithfully? Yeah. Um, and what does it look like to equip people to engage God's word on their own? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you can't expect someone to be passionate about something that you're not passionate mm-hmm. about um, as a discipler of other people. So it starts with yourself and your own passion, um, intentionally uh, focusing on your own spiritual growth and your own time in the Word. And, and then I think prayer. If you don't have that passion, pray. God delights in answering that prayer because as you get to know the Lord, then your passion grows. And pray that that spills over into others. And, and pray for the people you're discipling. That's good. Good. Speaking of that, uh, Tom, um, process, scripture, it's been kind of insinuated here, but discipleship all, it's about relationships. Um, why are relationships so crucial to multiplication, healthy growth, healthy change in discipleship? Yeah, I think we can all agree that the process of evangelism and discipleship can be very intense. Uh, it's hard for us in a lot of ways to enter into other people's lives that we don't know and we're making an attempt to get to know, uh, being a friend, being available, uh, and also to be opening up our lives to other people. All of those things, both of those things, make it impossible for us to really undertake this endeavor without the power of God, because we would otherwise just be, well, let's not do that. Uh, But because God is intensely personal and intensely relational, he is driving this process in the church. And as long as we stay open to that influence and to that call, we will be attempting great things for God and not hanging back. And the reason why he's in it, of course, is to bring others to himself. He, he's in process. He's, he's taking the lead on it. Um, that's why all, most of us here today could probably point to someone or a group of someones who were deeply influential in your coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, and that's because the church is missional. Um, I think of uh, the passage in uh, Acts 8, which gives a really good illustration of how this process can work, whether it's an initial experience of sharing the gospel or it's a process over years. Um, You know, when when God told Philip, the deacon of the early church, to go to a, a a certain road and just stay there and wait, and he would show him the next thing to do, He went to a road that was leading out of Jerusalem into uh, northern Africa, and uh, he was there, and and the first thing he had to do was wait. He had to wait for the Lord to show him what was next. Uh, I'm sure he was praying about that. And and that's one of the first things we do is wait, and we ask God, who in my circle, who's on this path with me, Uh, would be your choice for me to be talking to or engaging with. Uh, So sure enough, along comes this chariot or conveyance with the Ethiopian official 
who was going out of Jerusalem back to his homeland in Ethiopia. And uh, God tells him, go walk alongside that chariot. Go walk alongside, and I'll show you the next step. When we walk alongside people's lives, we're just uh, processing what God could do in that situation. We're listening to people. We're engaging in some opportunities to do things with them, to take an interest, begin loving them. And, um, and so that's what Philip did. And then Philip listened, and he heard that the Ethiopian uh, was saying, he was reading the scripture out of Isaiah 53, and he read it out loud so Philip could hear it. And he asked him, friend, do you know and understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian unit said, no, I can't know, and there's no one to teach me. And I'm sure that that was a very big opening uh, for Philip to say, I'll help you. So the Ethiopian invited him in to that conveyance to sit with him and talk with him about the scripture. So the thing is that we move from walking alongside people to sitting down with them. It might be a crisis in their lives. It might be just ripening interest and, and the work of the Lord in a powerful way or in process. And then we can sit with them and share the gospel and relate it to their needs and great things happen out of that. Like and that. certainly uh, that happened with that man because he went out from that experience. He was baptized. He believed he was baptized. And he went on uh, to his homeland to uh, share the gospel there. And it was spreading. That's good. Um, another question for you guys. And, and for the sake of time, I'll ask you to be a little brief. Um, uh, patience. Relationships discipleship, take patience. Um, you can't programatize transformation the way God brings change. How have, um, when we think about your life personally, uh, what are some ways that you've had to be patient in the work of making disciples? You can go first. Yeah, Tom. <laughs> Since you have the mic. Yeah. Um, Kathy and I have had a lot of great opportunities to share the gospel and see people come to faith in Christ. And it was always, where are they now? Where will they be down the line? One woman, uh, her, name was, uh, her name was Kim. She had a daughter named Stephanie who was a friend of Melissa's in, um, in school. And Melissa invited her to come to church with her. <laughs> Typical Melissa move. Um, and she did. She went uh, to church, and uh, her mother brought her, and then we took her home, usually. But eventually, her mother, Stephanie, or Kim, started coming to church and staying there and listening and sort of in the back row going, you know, just I'm not interested further than just I'm here. And then eventually, uh, they went through some struggle. She went through a divorce. Uh, we had... Stephanie over for times of just, you know, being with, with us. And uh, then we left for uh, another ministry, and we came to Ohio. About a year after that happened, uh, I got a call from Kim, um, and I was surprised to hear from her. I said, how are you doing? She says, well, not very well. In fact, I've got terminal cancer. Uh, I don't have very much time left. 
And you could tell, I could tell, she was really just, just uh, you know, destroyed over this. And so I talked to her a little bit about things that, you know, I asked her, how are you doing spiritually, um, Kim? What, what's going on? And she said, I, I talked to you, I called you because you, I knew that you would be a safe person to talk to about this. But I don't know for sure that I'm going to be with God in heaven when I die. And so I said, well, let me help you become sure, because the Bible tells us how. And I led uh, Kim to faith in Christ. We prayed a prayer. And um, that kind of shows you that the process was two years, but who knows how God stepped in there and planted seeds and planted opportunity and worked in the issues of her life to bring her to that point. I would just add that it's important to remember that everybody's on a different place in their journey, a different starting point, and we all bring our own baggage, you and me included. Yeah, I would say my own personal experience uh, speaks a lot to, to process and slow growth and uh, looking at the last 10 years, I would say 10-ish or so years of uh, choosing to uh, be a Christian and walk uh, with Christ. I have no idea where I'm at, if you could scale it or you could grade it, you know, like Jay even made a joke about it, like went to seminary and like did all this stuff. And so I would have thought at this point that I would have had everything figured out and would be like confident at every single thing and be an expert on every biblical scripture or whatever. Uh, But I'm not. And so uh, when I look at my own life, I I can't hold someone else to a standard that I myself don't even meet. Uh, I can't take someone somewhere that I haven't also been. Uh, And so I think when I think about the process of discipleship, the process of growth, uh, I think about needing to give people the grace that many others have given me and even the grace that I need to do a better job of giving to myself uh, in the process of growth. Who, Who knows how many days, months, or years I have left in that process of growth, but I anticipate it being long, perhaps. That's good. All of life, right? Process. Um, Well, I want to thank you guys for your investment in making disciples, and I want to ask you guys as we kind of wrap up this time, um, as a church, we want to be a multiplying church, and we're thankful for the ways God has done in the past, but I believe really this next season is where we're going to take some steps. And to do that, as we were trying to say, it's not just going to happen. <laughs> it requires intentionality, faith, patience. Can you guys share a challenge? Each of you share a challenge, and it's got to be real brief because Mike's probably... Okay, let me start. <laughs> a challenge uh, for I would say most importantly, uh, uh, we as individuals and we as a collective unit um, need to not focus. We, we need to be less concerned with building empires. We need to be less concerned with imperialistic um, ministry. Uh, and rather, I think we should be focused on sharing, uh, on uh, uh, disseminating leadership among uh, groups, uh, rather than uh, elevating individuals uh, or, or finding singular people or, or even, uh, you know, a smaller group of people, but rather all of us as we continue to grow and as, as we continue to welcome people in uh, to, to 
have that welcoming spirit be from a top to bottom thing with the church that people are welcome to walk through the doors uh, just as much as people are uh, welcome to speak into uh, the decisions and the leadership and the, the things that we do as a church that we're all working at it together. Two words. Discipleship begins with your own personal holiness. I agree with both of these two, so I won't elaborate. Thank you. Um, Christine, can you hold the mic? Um, In a moment, can you pray for us? But before, unpack a little more. Holiness, I know we don't have a lot of time, but why does discipleship begin with personal holiness? Yeah, well, it's hard to lead people where you haven't been. Hmm. So you need to be, um, your own relationship needs to really be deep and full and, and growing. And even if you're just starting a brand new believer, um, if you know something more than someone else, you can show them, uh, you can give them more light for their own life. So uh, I don't think God expects us to be mature and perfect to disciple other people. He just asks us to be available and broken. That's good. Thank you, guys. Christine, will you close our time in prayer? Father God, uh, What a privilege we have that we can come before you as a nation, as a church, and and worship you uh, publicly and speak of you, Lord. Would you give us boldness? Would you give us patience? And would you give us a love for others so that we would reach outward, so that we would share the good news that we know to be true with those around us who are seeking you, who are lost, and who want to know you as their Lord and Savior. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.